0: Learn more at marines.com. I read the most, I, I retweeted it, but I read the most uh, perfect Gen X tweet. It was like a, let's see, hang on. Because I, I love
1: out
0: of this because this was just funny as hell.
1: Yeah, I'm like a day and a half behind on my Twitter feed, so.
0: Okay. No, I mean, it's just like.
1: That's what travel will do for you.
0: All right, here we go. <clears throat> as a Gen Xer, I am uniquely qualified to be an expert on Gen X. The core values of my generation is hostility to your favorite band. (laughs) That gets better. (laughs) To your favorite bands, your mom, your politics, and definitely those shoes. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Further in the thread, like this, I loved everything about this thread. First off, they mentioned clove cigarettes later. Um, (laughs) Truly, the answer to all problems and conflicts from my generation is either whatever or you. <laughs> our, our means of bonding is shared disdain. Probably for you. <laughs> Perfect. Uh- once again to the Mudbugs for playing us in this is poser listen to the sneaky good podcast and we have a full house tonight we're delayed a week we didn't do a podcast after the auburn game because we were all drunk because we're all LSU <laughs> fans and that's how it works but we've sobered up we're getting geared up for the bama game and we have a full house as always i have my producer chris hello and from north of the border we have Seth. Yellow. And from not quite as north of the border, Jake. Hello. We will count the – he is south of the Mason-Dixon line, so still technically in the south, but not really.
2: <laughs> not really.
0: Yeah, because in that part of Maryland, they all serve sweet tea, and that's kind of the line. That's that's the test.
2: Yeah, they, they don't. Like I, I used to live in Virginia, and then like – when I moved up here, like I went to like a, like a diner and ordered like sweet tea. And they're like, do you, do you want it sweet or unsweet? And then it was like, uh, come again. Yep.
0: And honestly, in Virginia, the line is like Northern Virginia. You have to get to a certain point in Northern Virginia before you're actually in the South. So, you know, yeah, it's about,
2: I, I, I was in Fairfax. So that's like, not. yeah,
0: that's still DC. You're still in there. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: It's, you got to get far enough until you're within a stone's throw of Richmond. And then, then you're in the South. Because once again, sweet tea—that's the standard. Yep. Also, asking for a Coke for everything,
1: <laughs> as opposed to pop.
0: Yeah, everything is a Coke. Yeah. <laughs> but before we get into the Alabama game, which I know everybody wants to talk about, let's first talk about the what we didn't talk about last week because we took a week off. Hey, we beat Auburn, and that's always fun. Yep. Uh, it's
3: just. I thought we were going to blow them out, but you can never just like blow Auburn out there. Just it, the the game doesn't work like that, and uh,
0: we just punched them in the mouth again. Yeah, I, I kind of against Florida. I felt that Florida played their best game basically, and I wasn't too nervous at the half because I felt Florida was playing as well as they possibly could, and that was going to run out because teams just can't play above their baseline for so long. The Auburn game felt a lot different. It felt that Auburn dragged the game down into the mud, and LSU was playing below their baseline. And that was mainly because Auburn was making them play below their baseline. And at the half, it really felt like LSU could lose that game. You agree, Jake?
2: I never felt like they were going to lose. I I don't know. It it, it, it felt like eventually they were going to – it was going to break through. Like, it just, I mean, it definitely got frustrating when they kept getting down into the red zone and couldn't punch the ball in from the one yard line or burrow through an interception. It got frustrating, but it, I, I just had the faith in this offense. Like, eventually it was going to happen. And Auburn also seemed like they just weren't going to do anything on offense, uh, which they didn't. So it was a matter of just don't do something dumb again, like with Stingley. Muffin the punt, and eventually the Dan would break. And it did. And I, and I think they kind of felt that way as well as the team. I think Burrow and then the offense, I think they knew eventually what was going to come if they just kept pushing. Like, they never felt like they got kind of – they lost their cool or they got really frustrated about not being able to punch it. And I think they felt, as long as they kept giving themselves chances, that they were going to find something that worked. And, you know, as Seth wrote, they changed the formation up, started running the ball, and that opened things over for them. They got the first touchdown, and they got the second touchdown, and from there, the game was pretty much over.
0: Yeah, they threw the interception in the midway through the third quarter, and then immediately the next two drives, touchdown, touchdown. And that kind of felt what put the game away. Like, Auburn really didn't come back after that. The touchdown was scored pretty early in the fourth quarter. LSU had a bunch of chances to put the game away in the fourth quarter. They got the ball Four different times. We won't count the last one. But they got the ball three different times and only picked up one first down in those three drives. Should we be in any way concerned about that? I don't know. I think
3: I keep going back in my head about how good Auburn's defense is. So that's a tough defense to just put a game away, especially when they know that you want to kind of kind of, you know, slam it into the line and um, try and run the clock. So I think – like I'm not super worried about that. I think when LSU wants to score, for the most part, it it it'll score. They're that good. They'll just they'll put it in the end zone. I'm not really worried about that stuff. Or at least they'll they'll like get down to the red zone. They'll put up the yards, and then hopefully this week. Um, I think you you wrote this on Twitter, but you felt like LSU the complaints about the red zone was more than just they just didn't call the, the touchdown play. Like, yeah, it, it'll come. It'll come. I'm not worried about that. They'll put up their yards. The, they'll put the ball in the end zone going forward, I think.
0: Yeah, like, there was a lot of bitching about the play calling in the red zone. And honestly, I there was one drive where they ran the ball a bunch, and I kind of see where they were going for because I think they felt they had – I mean, that was the drive where Clyde Edwards-Elair was just mauling them. So I think they felt they kind of wanted to get him his touchdown, which is always kind of a bad – way to approach things. But even then they, you know, they spread out wide, they threw the on fourth down, they threw the ball out wide and just couldn't Jamar Chase couldn't cross the goal line. Um they honestly threw a lot more than they ran inside the 10 and I remember I went through all the numbers on Twitter this was about a week ago so I don't remember the numbers exactly. But they were successful more often than not passing the ball. But it wasn't like over And they're also incredibly successful running the ball inside the 10. We just remember the two failures when they went on first down, didn't get it. Second down, didn't get it. And I think that's what kind of makes everybody, oh, yeah, I remember these two plays. We didn't run the ball and score. So obviously the running, we call too many runs. So I I think there's definitely an element of overreaction.
3: I also just find it hard to to critique too much of what uh, Joe Brady is calling because – You know, you're going to get things are going to happen. You're going to get bogged down at certain times of the game. Unfortunately, for LSU, the past two weeks, sorry, the past two games, it's been the red zone. But, like, I think Joe Brady's earned the benefit of the doubt that he could call a game properly. That, okay, this happened. It was, I'm imagining, a blip in the radar, but they'll get back to normal because he is such a good OC and they do have such a good offense. So I I, I kind of have to give them the benefit of the doubt at this point.
0: Yeah, I, I think, hey, it, it was eventually going to happen that LSU didn't score in the red zone. But even with failing to score once against Auburn, LSU is 43 of 44 in red zone, zone attempts. That's 97.73% scoring rate. That is the best in the country. And their touchdown rate, okay, they're a little bit worse. It's 77%. They're merely the 13th best red zone offense at scoring touchdowns inside the red zone. So everybody chill out.
2: Jake? No, I, I think you're right on that. I mean, this one I thought just running it, I think like run just running it straight ahead in short yardage. There's enough, you've seen it enough, there's enough data that we know, like, it's just not a smart play call, but every offensive coordinator does it. So it's like even the most, unless you're like Mike Leach, even the most spread-happy systems will still try and run the ball in short yardage. And so, like, it is what it is. I don't like doing it, but it's going to happen. I was mean, like, I guess Mississippi State, I think it was more luck, but, like, they dropped a touchdown pass. There was a blatant pass interference on... Jamar Chase in the end zone. I mean, even in this one, what? I mean, they had a touchdown Terrace Marshall, and Jamar Chase uh, had his own pass breakup. So, you know. Fantastic really, defensive play. It really was. <laughs> yeah. so, so, you know, like, yeah, some of it just happens. It's not great, but it's... We know that red zone offense is, for the most part, kind of luck-based, and it's not necessary. You know, it can fluctuate from game to game, and, but he's played eight games, and for six of those games, the red zone offense was awesome, and for two of them, it was slightly worse. So yeah. I imagine it will revert back to what the larger sample is. And if not, you can still score touchdowns from outside the red zone. They, they're capable of making big plays to make up for if maybe once or twice they don't score in there. I mean, against Alabama, I don't think – you know, field guards aren't going to win that game, in my opinion. So, they have to be a bit more aggressive. And if they're bogging down. That might be a bit more problematic. But I also would. I think they need to be more aggressive against Bama in the red zone this week.
3: They can also just sure. score before they get to the red zone. Yeah, that's, what, yeah. Yeah, that's what but, said, yeah. Which you know what? I think that we might see a couple of those this weekend.
0: Always a good strategy to to score from fifty yards out. But also, like, I do think the short yardage run game has worked for LSU. It Because it, when you're running on, like, second and one or third and two, your goal is not to run for 10 yards. It's Success is defined simply by getting a first down. And LSU's yeah, I think we- short yardage run offense mainly worked. There was the time where Burrow slipped when he was under center on fourth down. And I think I can, we can just attribute that to a bad field. And there was, like, one run where Elar got caught in the backfield on, like, third and one. But other than that, the short yardage run offense worked. It was converting first downs, so and that's what you want out of it. And I think this is – we played against
3: such an incredible defensive line. And when we talk short yardage and goal line, like you said, we're not trying to get 10 yards. And we just got to move that line of scrimmage a, a yard and a half and give the running back a little bit of room to slip through for – for two yards, for three yards, for you know, for a yard and a half, whatever. Doing that against Auburn consistently is is tough for any team in the country. So, I, you know, I'm not like super worried. I think in years past against Alabama, we would definitely have that disadvantage again, but this year is a little different. So, I'm not as worried going into uh, the next game and, and the next
0: uh, in the coming weeks. And I think people forget that. Short yardage passing kind of failed in the game. There was a couple of times. This was one of the few times all season we've seen a receiver drop a pass. I think early in the game, Terrence Marshall dropped a third and two. Uh, Jamar Chase shockingly dropped a pass on, I think it was either second or third and short. It happens. I, I mean, I don't think it was like, hey, it's suddenly a bad call. And LSU was still a team that passes to set up the run. And the reason that Elaire has running lanes is because you have three or four wide receivers you've spread out the defense there's holes because the defense is stretched out horizontally across the field and vertically because they're worried about the deep routes.
3: Yeah, like I th- I think the Auburn defensive strategy that I really really liked to put seven defensive backs on the field and really I mean they did play um you know, they did bring sometimes one of the safeties down into the box. But a lot of times they were in, like, you know, cover two men, so just putting two safeties and everyone in man coverage. A lot of times they were just in other type of zones with two, uh, two high safeties. I thought it was a really good plan. But at the end of the day, LSU is good enough that when they do decide to run the football, they can gash you with chunks because they're very, they execute very well their duo scheme. You know, they really have one run play. It's that duo, you know, inside zone lock, whatever you want to call it. That's all they do. But they're so good and they're so physical and the O-line's been playing so great this year that, and, and you know, Clyde, uh, he's, he's amazing, that if you want to do some funky stuff, like you're playing against an air raid team, and that's kind of the way Auburn played it. They said, well, we're playing against an air raid team this week, so we're putting seven Bs on the field. You know, and, and we're, and we're kind of giving them spaces in the run box. Well, LSU's, they, they got four and five stars all over the place. They'll, they'll mash you if they have to.
0: Yeah, I mean, like we talk about this strategy that, like, we talk, and I agree, it was a really good strategy. And honestly, it was very well executed, and Auburn had the personnel to do it, particularly up front. But even conceding <laughs> all of that, Burrow threw for 321 yards. Eli uh, ran for 136, and the team ran for 187. LSU had 500 yards of offense, and Auburn was lucky not to give up you know, 30 or 40 points. So as much as we're, we want to give Auburn credit for a great strategy and great execution of that strategy, LSU moved the ball up and down the field on them. So if Alabama... That's their strategy. I think you give LSU a second chance to play the same scheme. They're going to eat it alive.
2: I I don't think Alabama is going to play that same scheme. But, but yeah, like everyone all year was like, what's going to happen when LSU's offense gets shut down? It's like this was not the game where LSU's offense got shut down. Like that's not what happened. If you want to call it that, if you want to like say this was the game where it got shut down, A, that'd be awesome because that means LSU's going (laughs) to score 40-plus points the rest of the year. And B, the defense only gave up 20, and seven of those were on garbage time. Another seven were on a 30 yard field. So, I mean, OSU had the most yards per play that anyone's had against Auburn all year. The most Auburn had given up was 5.6 yards per play against Texas AM, and OSU had six. And they had just given up, they'd come off giving up 3.4 yards per play the week before. Granted, that's Arkansas. But, like, even against Oregon, um, who's probably the second best offense that Auburn played. Oregon had 4.8 yards per play against Auburn. LSU had 1.2 more yards per play, which is a significant gap. So LSU's offense played really well, and well Auburn's scheme, like Auburn's scheme works because it's just that LSU's offense is so freaking good that that's what works against LSU's offense is holding them to six yards per play and forcing turnover on downs or stops in the red zone. And that is success against this LSU offense. And so yeah, like they played very well, but I mean, it, it says more about LSU's offense that that game was playing very well than it does Auburn's defense. And
0: I think Jake touches on something right there. That Bama's not probably not going to run a three-one-seven defense. Uh, I mean, I'd be shocked if they did too. So, how is Alabama going to attack the LSU offense?
3: Well, I think, and I haven't watched that much of Alabama this year, but I think that you'll still see more of a four-down look because that's, you know, he does play some of the tight. I mean, they call it mint over there. But, you know, he does play some of the tight that we're used to at uh, LSU that Aranda runs, you know, where it's like three guys clogging the middle and one kind of edge rusher. You know, in our case, it's this year it's Chasen so th- those those fronts are great if you're playing against a team that's even you know 50-50 running the ball on early downs lsu is not 50-50 running the ball on early downs they're going to throw it all over the place and they're going to throw it down the field so i don't know if you want to live in that front and really take away an edge rusher and we've talked we talked about this with on the lsu side about only having one edge rusher on the field so i don't see alabama doing that that means I do see them more in a true, you know, 44 down, two-edge rushers on the field type of situation. And that's kind of what Alabama's done a lot to us in the past. And what they kind of do is they say, well, we're going to get pressure with four. We are going to stop the run with four. I might be talking out of my butt here right now, but I don't even think they run a lot of stunts, you know, on, on early downs. When it's, when it's third down, things change up. But on, on the first down and second down, They don't run a lot of stunts and blitzes and stuff like that. They just play it, and by just playing it, they've kind of dominated LSU because we can't block them. I think we can block them this year. So I think that all of a sudden that tilts back in LSU's favor. But with that said, they are still going to try, I think, to play with four down probably still stay with two linebackers but even that they'll protect the will linebacker with uh, a safety over top so you know they'll play coverage you know they'll play too high they'll play coverage like they they i think they've always done but if they do that i think lsu has a better chance than they they've had to score points on them since uh, since we scored 30 on them in what in 2007 or whatever it was
0: yeah, something like that. Here comes the other question. How good is Bama's defense? Like right now, clearly Bama doesn't have a bad defense. I don't even want to get into a topic of that they're overrated or something like that. But Alabama currently ranks third in the SEC in yards per play allowed at 4.5. And Auburn is at 4.75. They're in fifth. So they're pretty close, but Alabama's slightly better. But upon saying that, Alabama has not played a single offense in the SEC ranked in the top half of the conference in yards per play. So probably the best offense they have faced all year is Texas A&M. And A&M scored 28 points. Ole Miss scored 31. South Carolina scored 23. So is this Alabama defense, which does have a lot of talent, is it better than Auburn's defense? And is it capable of, of shutting down the LSU offense?
2: No, I don't think any offense. I don't think any offense is capable of shutting down the LSU. Any defense is capable of shutting down the LSU offense. But to do it, you need a crazy great kind of defense that's got pros all over the field, which is what Alabama has had for the last four years, essentially. Like, to me, this is more of a 2013-2014 and kind of Alabama defense, which had lots of very good players, but it didn't have— this doesn't have Reuben Foster and Jonathan Allen and A'shaun Robinson or Quinn Williams or any of those guys. LSU hasn't been able to block Alabama as, like, their defensive unit as a whole, but the real issue has been that, like, Jonathan Allen or Quinn Williams just freaking destroyed them. That was essentially the problem they had. And there is not one of those guys on that Alabama defensive line. They're very good players, but Alabama does... I don't think Alabama has a first-team SEC defensive lineman. I don't know when the last time that was, but I venture to guess it's been a long time. And then, I mean, the second... like The secondary is the strength of that team. Sertan and Diggs are two great cover guys, but you're not going to have enough cover guys to stop LSU's offense. Like, I don't know who they're, like, I think their third cornerback is Shaheen Carter, who's a good player. I don't think he's good enough to stop Terrence Marshall. And as good as Sertan and Biggs are, I don't think they're better than Jefferson and Chase are. So, like, it's a question of, like, is it, like, I mean, like, is LSU going to go up against Alabama and have, like, the same problems that they've had for, you know, however many last year? A, I think I mean, the scheme plays some into that as well. LSU is not running their head right directly into a steel pole. They're getting guys in space, and they're running a, a better scheme that has a better chance of attacking Alabama or any elite defense. And But secondly, the talent level that LSU has on the offensive side of the ball, I think is better than Alabama's, and I think Alabama's strength goes right on LSU's strength, which I in college football in 2019, I think when it's strength comes to strength, you kind of give the edge to the offense. So this is a very good Alabama defense, but I don't think very good defense stops LSU's offense.
3: I think they're, like you said, I think they're really good on the outside, but there could be some wiggle room on the inside. And So you look at a guy like Thad Moss against the two young linebackers, that could be a real matchup issue for Alabama. Like I said, the, I, I agree with you. Like, hey, the two corners are really good, but so are our two guys on the outside. If Jefferson plays inside, I think he can dominate Shaheem Carter. Even though, he's, even though he's a good player too, I, I really like him. But getting the matchups against the two young linebackers is going to be super important. And we definitely have a matchup advantage with Dad Moss against against a bunch of people, but but definitely those two, uh, you know, the two the two freshmen, right? The two linebackers.
2: Yeah, I guess. yeah,
3: linebackers. So
2: yeah. I, think yeah. In I, I don't know if any linebackers are necessarily grant coverage against like LC's receivers. Like, especially these guys are not very good in coverage.
0: I think what's different is like we're used to Alabama not only having some superlative players on defense at getting into the backfield. They have a lot of them. Like if you think of like a traditional Alabama team, they have like three or four guys in the top ten in tackles for a loss. Like last year you had Quinn and Williams, he had 19 and a half. That was second in the conference. But then Isaiah Bugs, Amphrey Jennings both uh, were in the top ten. Christian Miller was knocking on the door of the top 10. I mean, Dylan Moses had 10 TFLs. I mean, this was a defense where you just kept not only do they have elite guys. They just kept coming at you in waves. You look at this year. You have Terrell Lewis. He's second in the conference right now in T- uh, TFLs. Uh, he has nine right now, which is good, but it's not quite you know the crazy numbers we've seen in the past. And after that, like Anthony Jennings, he's clinging to the top ten. And then the next guy's, it's you know, it's once again, it's the freshman. It's uh, what, um, it's Lee. Uh, Shane Lee is down there with uh five and a half TFL, which is. I mean, he can create pressure, but he's not a guy that you're scheming around. And, like, you look at Auburn, by contrast. Marlon Davidson, you know, nine TFLs. Derek Brown has eight. K.J. Britt has seven and a half. The, Auburn comes at you in just, I mean, they have elite guys at getting and creating pressure in the backfield. And Alabama has Terrell Lewis and maybe Anthony Jennings. And that's about it, really, on the elite level.
2: Terrell Lewis is an elite like an elite pass rusher. I mean, he's he's fantastic. But LSU's issue kind of hasn't been a guy like him who's more of like a designed pass rusher, someone whose job is to get after for the quarterback. Their issue has been kind of, as I said, it's been the interior that just blows plays up. Like, yeah, so, both
0: those guys are linebackers. I mean, yeah. both Lewis and Jennings are both linebackers. They don't have a defensive lineman who blows stuff up, which is really weird for an Alabama team. We're used to yeah. them having space eaters in the middle who just dominate the interior of the line.
2: I mean, 2016, when LSU scored zero points, they got blown up by Jonathan Allen, who had 16 tackles for loss and 10 and a half sacks that year. And then last year, they got blown up by Quinn Williams, who was a monster. who had like 19 and a half tackles for loss. That's who has killed LSU, is that they just immediately off the block. They just get blown off the line. They've done a good job handling sort of, you know, the the guys who come in, you know, on the second wave. And so, I mean, and, and those guys are in some ways, I maybe mean, easier to handle. I, th- I think else you can kind of handle those guys, even yeah. though they are both great players. The issue's been was the guys up front and Bama doesn't really have those. And, you know, the other issue, and the thing is to get after, to have those guys like Terrell Lewis or Anthony Jennings get after the QB you have to stop the run really well, and they don't stop the run great this year. I mean, like, the defining issue in this rivalry for LSU has been that LSU can't run the ball on Alabama at all, and that's been what they've tried to do, and since they can't run the ball well, Alabama just sticks eight, ten dudes in the box on them, and there you go. Bama does not stop the run very well this year, and while LSU is not going to run the ball the way that they've tried to do it in the past, it is a key component of their offense, and you know, if, if Bama does try to drop a lot of guys into coverage and stop the LSU, you know, passing attack, well, I don't know if they're going to be able to stop the LSU run if they do that. And if they decide that they can't drop guys into coverage because they're worried about the fact that they can't stop the run as well, well, then that opens up the LSU passing game, obviously. So I think they've got they have kind of sort of pick your poison kind of issues on defense this year that they basically haven't had in at least half a decade.
0: Yeah, I think what's concerning for Bama, at least, and I know this is... Look, they're still a very, very good team. So when you're talking about flaws about Bama, you yeah. need to take it in context. But normally you're looking at, hey, they have amazing stats against subpar competition, and you're trying to say, okay, how much of this is real and how much is this? They're just awesome and they would dominate anybody. This year they have pretty good stats against subpar competition. And that's when I start thinking schedule plays more and more. We, we've, we've talked about this before with LSU's offense. There comes a point where you're just awesome. I mean, if you're just lighting people up, you're good. But if you have just, you know, really good numbers, but not like eye-popping numbers, it starts to become, okay, how much of this is a schedule effect? And I'm not saying Alabama is a fraud because they're not. They're a very good team. But at the same time, they have not played anything remotely near LSU's offense.
3: Yeah, and I think what Jake's saying about the interior pressure is super important because not only was it interior pressure, it was interior pressure, like just in the passing game, it was interior pressure like right off the ball. I mean, it was snap and then Quinn Williams was in the backfield. So because I think that Joe can navigate like – Uh, I don't know what it's called, but like a regular pressure where it's like, okay, something's not open right away. and He's got to go to a second or third progression. He's obviously navigated that stuff to a level that's beyond anyone's ever done in the past. I heard today that his passer rating, which is not the greatest stat, but it's useful for us right now, under pressure is an NFL perfect 158.3. That's like not you're not supposed to be that good under pressure. The difference is, again, going back to what Jake's saying, is if that pressure is immediately in your face because it's an interior guy, you know, doing doing a swim move right off the snap, that's a problem. So if we can control that, which I think we can this year, then Joe is going to be fine to just kind of... You know, you you see the way he kind of just moves weird in the pocket. He, He flips his hips, flips his shoulders... Always trying to find that little void of space there. He's so good at it. I think that if we can do that, we'll be okay. The, the interior pressure right away is a problem, but I don't know if they'll get it this year.
0: Yeah, he's very, you know, John Elway and the way that he's good at scrambling, but he's not a great runner, but he's good at scrambling in order to create more time in the pocket. Like, he's just giving himself that extra second. Like I, I think his best scramble of the year is you know the Texas game where he stepped up in the pocket and then hit Jefferson. I mean he just finds that little bit of space in order to give himself that second. And this is where we give credit to the LSU offensive line. They look a lot better than they have over the past you know five or six years. Um, LSU's offensive line has been the weak link of this team, and they. I don't want to say that they're an elite offensive line this year, but they've definitely been capable and they have held their own against some very good units. Florida and Auburn have great defensive lines and yeah, they both got their sacks. They got their tackles for loss, but it wasn't like we're talking about snap boom. They're in the backfield. It was like a expected amount of pressure. And I I think that is a big difference for LSU and a huge win. If they can, If they can give Burrow just that second or two and Alabama's defensive line is not the monsters we're used to them being, that I think is the biggest factor in this game.
2: Yeah, I mean, Auburn, I mean, in early, like in the first kind of quarter, there was a few where like Derek Brown blew Damian Lewis off the ball a bit. But from there, after that, it was basically, yeah, basically, as you said, you know, pressure that just kind of happens, like pressure is going to happen, especially when you have those good players. And so that's, I mean that 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 you can deal with, and Joe is particularly good at at dealing with that. So I I don't think that's the problem. And to me also, I think it just comes down to like flat out just talent. This is the first time I can remember since I guess two two thousand thirteen would be the last one that I can think of where LSU. I just look at the talent on the on the teams, and I say LSU's offense has as much talent as Alabama's defense does. It more, I think. I think they're more talented. And at the end of the day, that's kind of... You know you can talk about scheme as much as you want, and it obviously plays a part, and you can talk about the plays, but if you have the dudes, that's what makes the difference. And LSU... I mean, the biggest issue LSU had, believe, was that, A, they didn't have the linemen who could block Alabama's defensive line. This year, they have a very good offensive line, and Alabama's defensive line is down a bit. So I think they should be able to block them. And then on the outside... You know, you can talk like you can talk as much as you want about well, you kind of didn't make great use of their receivers. Possibly true. I don't think any of those guys in the past, since Beckham and Landry, were as good as these three dudes are. And you know, I mean the one place where they aren't as good as running back, but then I mean they're just so far ahead of quarterback. So that's the thing, is they just the players yeah. on this offense are fantastic and they are so talented, and I think they are probably more talented than Alabama's defense.
0: Now, where I think Alabama has sorry. The, I'm sorry. Where Alabama has the advantage is probably when they have the ball on offense. <laughs> LSU's defense started off kind of questionable, a lot of it was due to injuries, but they've come on a lot like recently. They're near the top of the conference in a lot of ratings. How worried are we about the Alabama offense, Tua and that group of receivers which is every bit as good as LSU's group.
3: Uh, Look, they're going to move the ball. There's there's (laughs) no doubt they're going to move the ball. But I think that the weakness with Alabama is just, oh, man, I hate to say this, but if you could just tackle them (laughs) and make them drive, you could figure out ways to get stops. But if you let them catch bubbles and take them 60 yards, it, that's tough, man. You're, you're you know, going to be in for a long day if that happens. That's what they do to teams, right? I think it's like their yak is something like, you know, for all their receivers or all their pass catchers, it's something like nine per catch. So it's like they catch it and they run a ton of bubbles, a ton of screens, all that stuff that LSU doesn't run. And they break tackles and they go and they outrun you. You know, it's not even necessarily that they're breaking tackles. They're just outrunning your angles and stuff. So if at can just make a few tackles and keep those um, 15-yard, 20-yard runs to, to you know, five-yard runs, I think that just changes the whole thing because they're going to score. When they want to call a drop-back pass, Tua is good enough to find an open receiver. So, like, they're, they're good enough to do that. But you can't give them free yards by just not tackling on a bubble, you know?
0: And, you know, I know people have talked about LSU's tackling problems this year. But in the SEC, LSU has allowed 27 plays from scrimmage that are 20 yards or longer, which ranks fourth in the SEC, which is pretty good ahead of Alabama. But if you look at 40 yards, which is, you know, beyond big play, those are just like super huge plays. LSU's allowed six, which is right about the middle of the conference. This is where you want to be. Alabama, all season long on defense, has allowed one play of 40-plus yards. That is a defense that does not beat itself.
2: LSU's offense isn't, I mean, like, big play kind of oriented, which I guess might be, like, the one kind of positive. Like, LSU doesn't have a lot of 40-plus yard plays. They have, I think, a heck of a lot of, like, 20-plus yard plays. Like, that's what they do super well. Yeah, like, Bama is – First nationally in like average yards after catch. Like, in terms of like the average, like, if there was like the average they have, their average yak is first in the country. And I mean, it's that's yeah, I mean, it sounds simple. Yeah, like that's I mean, that's really what they do. I mean, like, the only interesting thing, I guess, to me is Jerry Judy is only averaging 13.1 yards per catch this year, which I find maybe odd a bit. Devontae Smith's got like 17, which is not surprising. And Henry Ruggs has a whopping 20 yards per catch which is ridiculous Jalen Waddles isn't great either but that dude is so fast you know I mean they got four receivers they have four awesome receivers so like that's it's it's just ridiculous like Jalen Waddle being your fourth best receiver shouldn't be allowed to happen (laughs) yeah like they're gonna score I mean I think that's the thing is is LSU's defense good enough to stop Alabama no like no one really is you know, like, they had – take out the take out the national championship game against Clemson last year, and Alabama's worst game on offense, they still scored, I think, like, 23 points on the best defense in the country. Even against LSU. Like, LSU held Alabama to one of their worst offensive games of the season last year, and Alabama still put up seven yards per play. There's just a certain amount of not much that you could just do. Like, they're going to make the plays. The key is get them into the red zone. And when you get in the red zone, hold them. That's the difference. The difference in the game is going to be who can break serve at some point. Be it when the game is, I don't know, you know, if the game's 28-28 or 35-35, kind of late in the game, hold them to a field goal and then get your offense to score a touchdown and you've, you've broken serve. You've got the advantage. Because these teams are going to exchange touchdowns. The key is can you – prevent a touchdown. I mean, if you can get an interception or something, if you, you know, if you can get a pick kind of in the red zone, which Tua occasionally does, like he he makes some throws like where he he trusts his arm and talent so much, which he should, because he's fantastic. That he sometimes misses them. He did one against Tennessee this year. He had one against Georgia in the SEC championship game last year. So maybe there's, you know, an opportunity there. If I mean if you get I an mean, that that's the, the I mean that's the huge problem is get a Get a turnover somewhere, and maybe you can either like score when the offense is on the field, or you can set the offense up in you know big time territory. If Alabama drives into the red zone, you can get a pick, you know, there and keep them off the board. But if you can hold them to field goals, I think that's the, like, if Alabama has more field goal attempts in this game than LSU, LSU is winning in this game because I think that's the key. It's like both of these teams are going to score plenty of points and lots of touchdowns, it's can you hold them somewhere and break serve so that you can pull ahead and either not be a team who has to drive from behind late or at least you get the ball back with, you know, a chance to win it. All
0: right. We will come back to figure out how we're going to do picks on the game. But before we get into that, normally we take a look around the SEC. But let's take a look nationally because this is a big national weekend. Before we look at the, the games out there, the playoff rankings just came out. We will not have a number one versus number two game this weekend. Uh, it'll be number two versus number three. Ohio State is ranked first. Penn State is ranked fourth. And Clemson is ranked fifth. Any surprises? Outrages? I mean, I'm trying not to be
3: not. – I'm trying my best not to care about this right now. Because everything – or most things will play out. I mean, it will take now. care of
0: itself. Well, yeah, like, is going to play Bama, and the winner of that game's going to be number one next week.
3: Yeah, exactly. So, like, I'm not trying to be too worried about it. I think I'm trying to think of the one that was weird. I mean, there was, like, Georgia and Oklahoma being kind of uh, in a weird spot, though I think, I, again, I... Who who knows? Who cares? Because no no one knows what the rankings really are based on. We know that for the past you know however six years. So like you know whatever. I, I, there's yeah. no I don't want to spend the energy getting mad that we're not number one right
0: now. the energy getting outrage. I think that's fair. I think what's interesting though is Oklahoma being ninth because it's really hard to come up with a scenario where Oklahoma can leapfrog Oregon and Utah if they both win out and play in the Pac-12 championship game, Georgia is going to take care of itself. They're either going to win or they're going to lose the SEC championship game. They'll be eliminated. Clemson's either going to go undefeated or they're not. and They'll be eliminated. So you can see how Oklahoma can leapfrog those teams, but they really need either Oregon or Utah to stub their toe to have a shot at the playoffs.
3: Do you think that they would have a, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing that they would have a better chance if Utah if – let's, let's say they both went out, Utah-Oregon, and then Utah wins the Pac-12.
0: I think they would much rather have a helmet test with Utah than Oregon. Yeah, Oregon that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, I mean, just brand recognition.
3: Oregon, Oregon is, in my mind, an undefeated team. Like, you know, they took – it's one bad mistake on defense with 30 seconds left against the worst quarterback to ever live from yeah, no, the not season.
0: the worst quarterback to ever live. You, <laughs> whoa, let's slow down. Um, first off, there's the entire history of Mississippi State um, <laughs> prior to Dak Prescott. Yeah. Let's, uh, <laughs> and then we can look at a lot of LSU quarterbacks. And yeah, they're, well Let's not throw stones from this glass house. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, th- I think Oklahoma at nine. I don't want to like put everything around the idea that LSU or Alabama is going to still get in if they lose one game. But I think that helps them a lot because, to me, I look at it this way. Like, Oregon right now has, like, no other Pac-12 teams besides Oregon and Utah are ranked in the top 25. And Utah didn't play anyone out of conference. And Oregon played Auburn, and they lost. And so, and I don't know if the way the Pac-12 is just going this year – I just keep thinking it's it's going to, like, cannibalize itself, continue to cannibalize itself. And I don't know who can move into the – like, this, the team with the second fewest losses in the Pac-12 outside of Oregon and Utah is Arizona State, who's 5-3. and three. Yeah. The, like, the, the third best team in the Pac-12 was, like, Washington, who's probably 5-4. and four. So the, don't to, don't give, to give credit, credit to the
0: 12
2: to give credit to them,
0: there's not a whole lot of bad teams in the Pac-12. No. Like most times you see stratification, so teams are pumping up their record against just feasting on cupcakes. If you look at the Pac 12, just about everybody's pretty good. I mean, the worst team in, in the conference is probably Colorado, and they're three and six. They're not awful. I, I think the Pac 12's problem is just that everybody, you know, you have Oregon, you have Utah, and then everybody's the same.
2: Yeah. And so, like, the, the issue is that. Like say it's or say Oregon wins the Pac-12. Well, what Oregon needs is for Auburn to not bottom out, so that their loss is to a really good Auburn team. Yeah, they but they, they were, want Auburn to beat Bama very very badly. Yeah, like but the problem is like say I don't know say Auburn beats like if Auburn beats Alabama, well then LSU's win over Auburn just gets like better. Yeah,
0: it does. is in a great position because we now have a win over Auburn. And the Auburn game is going to factor in with Oregon. Elway's yeah. in a great position, and
2: like, and I think Auburn, like, I personally, I think Auburn's going to beat Georgia. Like, and if I, if there is a game they're most likely to win, I think they're more likely to beat Georgia than they are Bama. And so, like, say Auburn does and finishes nine and three, and they have wins over you know Georgia and Oregon, Auburn's going to be ranked in the top fifteen, you no know doubt about it. yeah, so that's... it's like, well, Oregon then has normally you don't get a direct one to one comparison like between a Pac twelve and an SEC team in terms of a common opponent, but now you've got But you have, to
0: have one here. Yeah, Oregon you do. That,
2: that's going to matter.
0: Having yes. a similar opponent with Oregon is great. Like, if you, you know, as LSU fans, we are now rooting for Oregon because that knocks out Utah. And I don't think in a head, even if LSU loses a game head-to-head, LSU is going to look more favorable than Oregon. And secondly, and I know this hurts, rooting for Auburn isn't the worst thing in the world right now. Auburn kind of helps out, you know, helps out, even though it's kind of irrelevant, because we want, from LSU standpoint, if they lose to Alabama, if they beat Alabama, then it's make the national title game, you know, win the SEC. If you lose to Alabama, you need to win out anyway. You want everyone you've played to keep winning. So you want every SEC West team to beat every SEC East team. You want the Georgia game to not mean as much for Bama in the SEC championship
2: game it's if it's say it's Utah helmet test matters. And I know Utah is a pack, you know, a pack 12 team now, but it's still, still Utah. Utah. Yeah. It's still Utah. Like the worry for if you're an LSU fan, you were wondering, like, could they get left out with one loss? The worry was Oklahoma because it's Oklahoma and you know, they have all their, but now Oklahoma's ninth and that's a long hill to climb back up. Yeah. It, it, all those teams. I, let's play. It matters who the loss is
0: to. If, if LSU is undefeated and then loses to Georgia in the SEC championship game, it's a lot harder to climb back in with that late loss.
2: If LSU I don't, was, I don't know. I mean, Bam. I mean,
0: because then you're competing with Bama again, head to head. And
2: I, I think if, if LSU goes 12 0 and loses to Georgia, I think I. I mean, they're probably out just. No, I mean, I'm. I don't know if they're out. I still think they're probably in.
0: Yeah, yeah I, I, think, I think I think
3: if they if I think if they win this weekend they're Yeah, in.
0: they're looking really good. It, yeah, that like That's when it becomes don't screw it up.
3: Yeah. Yeah, like um, what, what about right the that's... one loss scenario, like an LSU one loss team, you know, whether it's against Alabama or later potentially against Georgia. What if there's a weird scenario where Ohio State has one loss? Because Penn State wins the, the Big Ten. The interesting stuff. Um, because yeah,
4: that's Ohio the, you know, then we're
3: talking about it in the same way that we talk about Alabama and LSU with one loss. We're talking about Ohio State with one loss with, you know, name recognition and only oh, one I'm loss and to the number one
2: team and blah, blah, blah. And, and also the Big Ten. Minnesota. Th- like Penn, the, if Penn State yeah. beats an undefeated Minnesota. That's going to count loses, a lot. And yeah. loses in and loses. I mean, because the Ohio State would get hurt because they're playing Penn State in Columbus like that would hurt them but if Penn State you know loses at Columbus and they're 11 and 1 you know they're going to be
0: what kind will of help
2: us the same sort of you know argument
0: what helps LSU is that one of them will neither only one of them can win the division so if LSU let's just say the scenario was LSU loses the bama all right because that's what we're thinking if LSU loses the bama like what's our chances the ohio state penn state loser Okay, it doesn't matter who it is. We'll be in the same situation as LSU, yeah. mm-hmm. which is there will be a one-loss team if they went out that didn't win their division and the top team in their conference, you know, went off and, you know, is world dominating. So we would much rather be compared to Penn State
2: than Ohio State. I would think so. I would yeah. think so. Yeah. But when Penn State's wins are Go in my opinion, going to get worse. Like LSU's, like LSU's win over Florida is not really getting worse from here. Florida's going to win out. LSU's win over Auburn is, I don't think, going to get appreciably worse because Auburn really is probably going to lose to Georgia and Alabama, and well, that's a four-loss team that's still, you know. I mean if their only losses are in Florida, Georgia, LSU and Alabama, like that's, <laughs> that's you know. Yeah, like Penn State's gonna like play Penn Minnesota. Wins this wins weekend,
0: Michigan, but Penn Minnesota is. closes with Penn State, Iowa at Northwestern's who's terrible, and Wisconsin. Yeah. Minnesota could conceivably go one and three down the stretch.
2: Yeah, I and, and I think that's what we're gonna see out of them too. Yeah, and then like Penn State's one over Michigan probably gets worse and Michigan gets gets their doors blown off by Ohio State again, which is probably gonna happen. Well, and no, Indiana. it
0: was by a score in the most agonizing way possible. That's that would be
2: funny. And like in Iowa, I mean, I've watched like if you watch Iowa play this year it doesn't seem like they know what offense is. So <laughs> oh, the
0: the one thing you worry about with Penn State is if Penn State beats Minnesota this weekend. They're going to finish either 11 and 1 or 12-0. Yeah, because Indiana and Rutgers are not going to and that Indiana is going to I think the yeah. quarterback is out. Yeah. I yeah. I so, think I saw that today, so we are big Minnesota fans this weekend. If, if I min- mean, look
2: a, you should root against Penn State in general. Well, yeah, the, <laughs> B-
0: yeah
2: two Marylanders
0: on the line even before the scandal. We hated Penn State. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, he should root against them in general, but also root against them because it has all Yeah, I,
0: I mean, this is probably Penn State's biggest chance to lose outside the Ohio State. It's it's smooth I don't want to say smooth sailing Indiana is frisky but as an LSU fan go Gophers. you know row the boat we really need this one i mean not really but we need it yeah every little bit every little bit helps when you're
2: kind of dealing with that you know scenario
0: because i also think ohio state's just awesome so i don't think ohio state's gonna lose
2: i don't either I,
0: they're... they Yes, Ohio State schedule sucks, but they have been killing teams.
2: Yeah.
3: It's so a much matchup. Go ahead, Seth. No, I'm just saying just I think I don't know much about that Penn State quarterback, but if, if you gotta go into a matchup where you're Sean Clifford against Justin Fields or even going forward, Sean Clifford against Tua or Burrow or, or Lawrence, like
2: I don't I don't trust Penn State uh, at all. Yeah, I mean, Penn State's offense is not like – Penn State scored 17 against Pitt, 17 against Iowa, yeah. 28 against Michigan and Michigan State. I mean, they're awesome on defense. That's a fantastic defense. But that but is it's, not a good offense.
0: They leave teams in games, and that, that could be a problem. This is how good Ohio State is. Their closest win this season is over Michigan State where they won 34-10, to 10 and they didn't play well. Like, Ohio State gave the ball away like candy in that game. And won by twenty four points. We were talking about how Indiana is frisky. They went in to Indiana and beat them fifty one to ten. Ohio State's great.
2: Yeah, they are. I mean, they're they're phenomenal. If there's one thing, it's I guess like one chink in the armor, or what's you know kind of like one spot where you maybe can question it. I, I don't know if like I don't think they're as good on offense as LSU and Alabama are. Like I, th- I think there's a gap there. I mean fields is Fields is awesome. He's a fantastic athlete. He, he's got a great arm. When things line up for him, you know, well, and because Ohio State's so much more talent than everyone else, they've lined up for him, you know perfectly lot. He can make all the throws, but it's like by the time he's a you know next by the time next year, he'll he'll probably be the best quarterback in college football. But at the moment, I think he's a step below. Burrow and Tua, and I think as an offense, they're a step below. They're better on defense. Like, there's no question there. They have the best defensive player in college football by country mile, maybe the best player in college football. And so, like, they're, they're, they're way ahead on defense. But I guess I think they are behind on offense. And, like, in a hypothetical game between either two teams, I think that would be the question is where is the gap kind of bigger, which gap kind of would play out more would be, you know, the offense where I think they're behind but the defense where they're definitely ahead.
0: Now also on the national stage, Clemson is going to be fifth in the polls, so they're going to be a little bit ticked about that. They're playing NC State in Raleigh. State has – is a 500 team, but State has traditionally given Clemson a little bit of a problem. But the game that Clemson – I mean, obviously they care most about that game. They need to win. But a game they're eyeing is Wake Forest and Virginia Tech. That could be a sneaky, important game in the ACC. If Wake Forest wins that game, they'll go in 8-1, and one, and it'll give Clemson a quality opponent on their schedule. If Virginia Tech wins that game, Virginia Tech will, can believe it or not, control their own destiny in the ACC race. And that would be a nightmare scenario for Clemson to be playing Virginia Tech in the ACC oh, championship
2: I mean- game who who doesn't control their own destiny in yeah that's <laughs>
0: it, true it but virginia tech could that, could control yeah. their own destiny and
2: sabotage wake forest which right now is looking to be clemson's best win to me it's though it's like if clemson wins out a it doesn't matter who they beat cuz they're going undefeated and yeah. he's not moving out on a good team and if they don't like is a wake forest win really going to be the difference between clemson getting left out and are no, they're, they're out yeah, uh, if clemson, clemson loses what, i just i just to me it's like if a, if I mean, if they lose, it'd be like a awesome for Wake Forest. You know, this is shaping up to be like the second best Wake Forest team ever. You know, hey, they won an
0: ACC championship under Jim Grobe. Yeah, like that's that's, that's <laughs> the best
2: one. That's the best, <laughs> the best. Wake Forest team. Also, like what, the fun thing with Wake, like every time Wake Forest is good, every coach in ACC gets fired because it's like, okay, if Wake. Forest is winning. Why aren't you winning? Yeah, no, not... that's, that's generally what happens. <laughs> like if, if Wake Forest beats Clemson or something, like people are going to start losing their jobs in the ACC. Um, right. but yeah, like I, I just don't think it's going to like make a real difference either way. If they win, I mean, and they'll probably win because they're Clemson. Then, then they're getting in. And if they lose, I mean, I or if like if they lost somewhere else and beat Wake Forest, I just I don't, I don't think a Wake win is like, like the tipping point for them to like get them in. Like I don't I don't I don't think they see the committee saying like because they had that one win over Wake, you know, that got them in.
3: They're yeah, probably, I mean, they haven't put – the committee hasn't put a, a group of five team in even with – even undefeated. So a one-loss Clemson team, I mean, that might be tough.
0: Yeah, they, they will not have the resume if yeah.
3: – It's just yeah. not there. That defending was a, champ. Sorry, that was a as bad –
0: Even as defending champ. Sure. Yeah, I, I know. I, I heard <laughs> it was a group of five, but uh, – <laughs> It's a bad conference this year like, because I think the Pac-12 is salty. I just think every team is good and they're kind of cannibalizing each other. The ACC is just bad. It's, it, it's weird. It, it's so bad. I, I can't define why I think one is good and one is bad, but I think it might be the condition that I'm in when watching the games because I watch Pac-12 after dark, you know, after a full day of a vibing, and I tend to watch ACC games. As, you know, the opener at 11 a.m., clear-eyed and sober. <laughs> yeah, There's
2: just something about watching an ACC game. Like, they're bad. I'm, yeah, I mean, they're bad, but it's like at, like, 12 o'clock, and it's like you're watching the game. I don't know. They're just so dumb. I don't know. The Pac-12 games, weirdly, in a way, are kind of, like, yeah, normal. Yeah, sort of game. I think what it is is that Pac-12 is, the Pac-12 is
0: fun. Like, they can score a little. There's some teams that play some defense. You know, like, like <laughs> hey.
2: I don't know if it's like full but like there it's just like a normal kind of level of whatever that you watch the ACC and it's like oh my god like what are these teams doing yeah it's <laughs> like, it like they're so dumb so like, yeah, it's so... like Virginia is like the best team in the ACC Coastal probably and they scored 9 points against Miami
0: yeah that's that's awful like
2: <laughs> right? oh god their
0: quarterback just goes through phases of just like forgetting how to play
2: like Miami lost to Georgia Tech like Miami beat Virginia and then the next week lost to Georgia Tech <laughs>
0: So, you know, we are still open to the possibility of an all-SEC, all-Big Ten uh, college football playoff. I just want to throw that out there as a possibility of LSU, Alabama, Penn State, Ohio State. Wouldn't that be If you
2: wanted expansion, That's your, there's your ticket.
0: But we turn our attention back to the LSU-Bama
2: game. Jake first, how do you see the game going? If you're if you're a person who is like I can't pick LSU to win until I actually see it with my own eyes, I don't blame you one bit. Like I, I, I totally get that. Like I, honestly, like I'm the same way. Like I, I, I feel like I can't like bring myself to, to pick them to win because it just hasn't happened. And the last couple of years, it's so it's either not been closer. It felt like they were just kind of like toying with us. But like when, when I just look at this matchup, I just it feels like we should win. Like it, it just, it feels like things line up and not just in like sentimental fate kind of way. Like this is the year, you know, right now and like, it's got to happen. It's, we've got, we've got an amazing offense. I don't really think that they can, I don't think they have the answers on defense the way that they did in the past to stop us on offense. And I, I, I think the game's going to come down to a turnover somewhere or it, who can kind of break serve, and it's, I don't know, like, I, I got a feeling like if, if I need someone defense to, on either side, a defense defender to make a play, I think like, I, I'd go with Derek Stingley to pick off Tua and do something for the LSU defense. So I can't, like, bring myself like to say we're going to win necessarily, but, like, as kind of just the last couple weeks, it's just been building, but, like, I think we're going to win. Like, I, I don't know like it feels like just I mean this is the first time where in a couple of years where it doesn't feel like LSU, lSU doesn't need like something amazing to happen to win, like they don't need like a blocked punt or some or some guy to play completely over his head. If Joe Burrow plays the way Joe Burrow plays, that's enough for lSU to win, and Joe Burrow's played the way he's played all year, and so have the rest of this offense if lSU plays there at their level. They can win this game, and I think they might. I think they might.
3: Seth? So I do want to get into the whole sentimental bullcraft stuff because I just want to psych <laughs> myself completely out of whack by 3.30. Sorry, by 2.30. Get Saturday.
4: on a <laughs> of <laughs> I,
3: I, You know, I just like, like, let's do it. Let's do it big right now. I just – I can't – like, they're not going to lose again, right, guys? Like, it can't happen <laughs> again. It's not this year. 8-0, game of the century. It just – it can't happen again. Now, I, what I think could happen, though, is, you know, we could be in for, like, one of the college football games of all time, though, because it's not going to be 9-6. You know, everyone goes off about, about 9-6, and 9-6 was great. You know, what a game uh you know even 10 nothing that you know because it was zero oh, zero for so long that game sucked <laughs> that game sucked this this really could be fifty to forty eight and that would be wild and I that's that's I mean I hope LSU wins fifty to two but it, i I I kind of get the feeling it could be one of these um one of these shootouts. You know I was thinking about it after watching SMU and uh Memphis last week. I was like, it could be like an SMU Memphis type game, but oh, it just happens to be number one versus number two LSU Alabama. So that's I, I kind of it could be that one. I'm just psyched up. I just I don't know if I can go and live. My, I just want to be put into a coma for the next three days until it happens. I cannot cannot wait.
0: No, I mean it's a big game, and I'm excited for because it it's a big game. I think the mental stuff of the losing streak matters more to us than it does to the players. Most of these guys were in high school when this stuff was happening, or even middle school. Oh, my God. It's, we're been, old. A it's been a long time. It has been a long time. But also, like, I just don't think they really care that much. I mean, you think Joe Burrow cares what happened in 2016? Uh, he's not spending nights with, you know, thinking about this stuff. We are, because we're fans. We lived with this stuff. I think it gets blown out of proportion because we care about it. But, yeah, this is a huge game, and this is the whole – I don't want to say it's the whole season, but this is the most important game on the schedule. This is a team that wants to win the national title that has you know, a legitimate chance to do so. Uh, Joe Burrow is up for a Heisman Trophy, and none of those things happen without LSU beating Alabama. They might happen. You can backdoor your way into it, but you, that's – you need luck to do it that way, take care of business, win this game outright, and let's go to the question bag.
1: Okay, so on the question bag, Joey Heisman, a.k.a. Chip LGR, had a two-parter, which I believe we pretty much just answered, which was "All you guys any chance, or is it another loss? But sounds like across the board, that's a big no. It's going to be a win. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we're. I think fans are too
0: negative because it, it, the losing streak weighs more on us than the players. Is kind of how I view it. I don't think any player there is simply going, "Oh my God, we've lost the Bama so many years in a row; we have no chance." Players don't think that
2: way. Okay. Like, I, I, I mean, my thing's weird. Like, like I think, like I don't enjoy the game like in the way I used to. But I like, I still think we have a chance this Like, I think we very well could win. I just am like, I haven't been able to like bring myself to totally like enjoy it, you know, it's like it's mine is not even so much like like the losing streak. I like would be dumb to say like, no, I'm not at all, ups- you know, bothered by the Alabama game because we lose. Like, I mean, that'd be stupid, but mine isn't so much like the results is just kind of everything else. Like I very much think like we can win this game. So, I mean, If we lose, like I, I don't think we'll lose by like 20. I think it'll be like three or something.
1: OK, the first part of his two part question was addressed to Seth. He says, Seth, I haven't watched a ton of their defensive tape. Is Saban still living in single high and cover three?
3: Uh, no, no. <laughs> you know, he they do obviously play it a lot, but they do also live in their, what they call their cover seven world, which is like two high match quarters. And that's what they did a lot to us last year because they could just rush four, play with um, – play with seven in coverage and it felt like, you know, when you watched the, the clips from, from the coach's film, from like behind burrow, it just felt like he, he saw 20 guys in coverage and then there was pressure on his face. So no, they, they, they do both. Um, again, going back to what we were saying before um, they, I don't know if they can do that this year and get pressure and so, if Burrow could just stand in the pocket and 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 make his progressions and get to the right receivers, I think they'll be okay no matter what coverage they play to tell you the truth. but no, they don't just stay in 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 one high uh cover three match
1: okay, yeah, Jake what he said. All right, Jacob Hibbard wants to know how big of an effect does the Michael Divinity departure have on your outlook on the game? Not much. It's it's
2: it's not it's not it's not a big loss, but it's it, there'll be several other guys who I think on the L.C. defense who would the game result could tilt more if they were out. A, I just think it's going to be an offensive game. Like I think. This is going to be, the winner's going to have to score 40, so I don't know if defense, defensive guys one way or the other make the biggest difference, but it's, Divinity's a very good player, but it's, like if, there, if there was a defensive guy going out who would, like, make me think, oh, the game could really tilt, it would be Stingley or Delpit or maybe even, you know, Richard Lawrence or Glenn Logan, not really Divinity, so, I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not great and it sucks for him, but I don't think it really changes my mind about the game. Yeah, I think he's our best pass rusher, but he's not
0: so far and away our best pass rusher that he can't be replaced. You know, it's not like he was racking up like huge, you know, crazy numbers. He's not Ramsey Dardar. You know, like it's yeah, that's a blast for the pass reference people. You know, what how many sacks does he have? Like three or four? Like, it's, I mean, he's an important player, but he's not an irreplaceably important player. So sucks to lose him. Stay off the pot, kids. Uh, but it doesn't really factor for me.
3: Uh, yeah, I, if, you know, I'm thinking about um, what Jake said about kind of the list of guys, the ranking of guys you would not want to see go down, I would put the four guys in the secondary first. I, I even, even, even Vincent, maybe put the five guys. You know, to me it's Stingley, Fulton, Delpit, Jacoby, Carey, and then probably actually Chasen just because he's an edge rusher.
0: Yeah, and also he's. Uh, but then a maybe, but either. then I
3: even like I really like what you said about Logan and and Richard because they're, you know, they they can get pressure in the interior too. So, uh, you know, Divinity's a good player, but we've also been without him for a lot a lot of time this year too. So uh, it's yeah, it's not the end of the world.
1: Okay, Richard Pitman, like once again my favorite Twitter handle. I like Beignets. Wants to know, <laughs> did Stephen King ruin clowns for us? Or were they already ruined?
0: Yeah, they were already ruined. And they were ruined by clowns. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, And John Wayne Gacy, for God's sake. Yeah. I mean, I'm not scared of a fictional clown. I'm scared of a guy who was on the cover of the New York Times dressed as a clown killing people. But no, clowns are creepy even before it. <laughs> I also think
3: we're, we're so far past clown clown. Um, society, clown culture. The clown here. Like, what, are you, where are clowns anymore? I don't think I've ever seen a clown in my life. Am I, have I seen a clown in my life? I don't know.
1: Last <laughs> <laughs> well, what I saw was at the circus. But do, do people? You, you've been to-, to a circus? <laughs> <is>. <laughs> I mean,
0: come on. <laughs> to a circus. Yeah. I mean, come on while we're talking about it. Like, how often do you run into circuses these days? The Barnum and Bailey doesn't exist anymore. Yep. So I think what
3: Chris is saying is that he's in the circus.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, my house does feel hey. that way sometimes with three boys, so, yeah. Okay. Finally, uh, Thomas Kennard wants to know, why aren't y'all on iTunes anymore? And I can take this one, since I don't think anyone else knows the real reason. That's because after episode, I think it was 66 or 67... Our SB Nation overlords switched us over to a new platform. And so you can now find this podcast under And the Valley Shook on iTunes. So just search for that, Thomas, and you should be caught up. And that concludes the mailbag. <laughs>